Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is one of my favorite exercises to do with the K-Poly, and that is the pull-through. Guys, once you've figured out about how far you need to walk out with the K-Poly, grab whatever attachment you're using for the pulley, walk yourself out there, and really push your hips back at the K-Poly. From there, when you hit that stretch, really punch your hips forward, keep your chest up, and try to extend your knees and your hips all the way through. And this is where one of the major benefits of using a flywheel kicks in, as it pulls you into a deeper stretch as you push your hips back in, into your hamstrings and your hip extensors, so that you really open it up and stretch everything out in the back. This is an exercise that I'm sure your athletes are going to love to hate, but reap awesome rewards from. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash cbasps to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Yep. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing, Jay? Oh, man, you know, just living the life. And another yeah, no day, doubt. it just seems like the clouds don't want to stop emptying today. Yeah, we're not too different over here in Mississippi, so. AJ, what's good, bro? Long time no see. Uh, yeah, man. I'm fired up to rap a bit, dude. Like, uh, y'all got a lot of interesting stuff cooking down there, so I'm really fired up to, you know, kind of get into some of your meat and potatoes that you've been doing with the teams and, and, and hear more about that. And, you know, again, as always, opening it up for – Everybody, if you've got questions for Coach, you know, make sure you fire away. But, yeah, man, let, let's kind of get right into it here. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I know uh, you talked to Steph Mock, uh, my boss, a couple days ago. And, you know, she's our, our fearless leader of kind of the whole, I guess what you say, the meat and potatoes that we've kind of tried to instill here lately. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy to dive into whatever you'd like to, man. Yeah. So, well, first, I think that, like, Let's let people know, like, who you're with down there and, like, what things that you've been doing specifically in the past 12 months that, that can get people fired up. Yeah, so, and I guess, you know, I'm not really a, a big name or anything. My name's uh, Aaron Duval, so I'm the strength coach, assistant strength coach at Mississippi State. Uh work under Stephanie Mock. My primary team responsibilities are soccer and tennis. So uh, over the past 12 months, I think that a lot of the things that we've um, the, at least on my end, I've kind of prioritized. Uh, I'll kind of bucket it into three different categories. One is 
building a relationship with our uh, engineering department and kind of the things that we've been able to facilitate from that, from uh, a lot of our technology assessment and monitoring stuff. Um, I think another thing that we've really tried to build out is the uh, collaboration with a lot of our other staffs with um, our new AMS system. So we're using Coach Me Plus and kind of how we've integrated that and tried to tie that into a lot of the the wearables that we have, a lot of the questionnaires that we have and just the testing and stuff and profiling that we do on our athletes. And then, um, you know, lastly, just kind of doing our job, training our athletes and especially right now, just doing the best we can to uh, make sure that they're still doing stuff. It's definitely a, a weird period for us right now. And not really a lot of the experiences that we've had have kind of prepared us for what we're doing currently, but it's been a, been a fun challenge and we've been had a definitely a big period of growth throughout it all. So it's been good. Yeah, man. Let's, let's get into that stuff with the engineering department, because I think that that ticks a couple of big boxes. And the first is, like, working across campus, which is something that I think a lot of people have a hard time with. And the second is, just like, what are you doing with your engineering department? Yeah, so I think we're really, really lucky to have the partnership that we've had kind of going with our engineering department. So I know a lot of schools um, have a pretty good relationship with, like, say, their kinesiology department, and we do as well. Um, we came across working with uh, one of our uh, industrial engineer professors, and he was doing a, a study with our football team at the time on um, some sort of helmet study with uh, reaction time and, uh, you know, potential uh, CTE mitigation. But um after talking with him, you know, he was just, he was a guy that was like, Hey, I love working with athletics. We're building a human performance lab over in our, uh, cabs lab, uh, on campus. And they had a big mocap system, force plates, a few other testing, um, avenues that they were trying to do with more human subjects instead of vehicular subjects. And he was like, man, give us some people to study and look at and, you know, we'll, we'll try to return the favor however we can. So that's kind of how it all facilitated. Uh, since then, it's grown to something, kind of a concept uh, that we've tried to build of athlete engineering. Um, and it's basically a collaboration between strength conditioning and our engineering department that has kind of blown up into this weird mixture of like industrial and systems engineering, strength conditioning, sports science, um, human psychology and just trying to kind of merge all those uh, pretty different realms together. So um, we're actually now we're at the point where we're trying to build a little bit more of an extensive lab on campus. So uh, we've put in a, a half million dollar grant to try to get some equipment and one of our kind of empty rooms on campus. We are hosting, hopefully still hosting um, our third athlete engineer, athlete engineering conference. Uh, this June, June 10th and 11th. Um, we have uh, some really good speakers coming to that. Um, so we're real excited. It'll be the kind of the first of its kind, we think, um, just kind of the from the mix of people that we're going to have come in and uh, talk during it. But we're excited about that. Hopefully it's still going to be in the mix. We, we don't know what uh, June's going to hold by then. But um, still, you know, the relationship and the things that that have started to foster uh, with us have been uh, really fun for us and really interesting. It's come to the point now where I actually have a couple engineering students uh, interning under me, and we have them working on a few different projects with uh, uh, really data collection, analytics, and organization of a lot of the stuff that 
we've been trying to do, uh, but maybe don't have quite the time or patience to do uh, just because, you know, we, we have to coach athletes and manage coaches and everything else as well. So uh, yeah, we're, that's been probably one of the bigger projects that we've had going on, I guess this past 12 months or so. And it's, I think the growth of it's been pretty exponential and we're excited to see where it ends up leading, especially with a few of the projects that we have going on. Yeah, dude, that's pretty rad. So I, I want to talk a little bit more about that, especially like the what's and how's you're looking at, especially since my boy MJ just hopped on because I know he's diving through miles of GPS data right now. But yeah, I think that, you know, it's easy to collect. It's easy to get. But now, like, how are you... How is using an engineering student providing you guys like a different sort of lens to look through when it comes to what these numbers actually are and mean and, and those sort of things? Yeah, I think the, the biggest help for us that have been from them um, has been we are we're, we're better maybe at like asking the questions that we want answered um, and they're good at fidgeting through the numbers, uh, running uh, certain programs uh, like Power BI or R to help maybe answer those questions and then even build out some uh, systems or potential softwares to kind of help us organize and utilize our data a little bit better. Um, to give an example, so you're talking about like miles of GPS data. I mean, so we, we use uh, Polar Team Pro with a few of our sports and it's it was a little bit daunting when I first got involved with it. Um, I knew that there were things that I wanted to be able to do from a practice uh, planning standpoint to give the coaches, but I didn't really have the skill set to be able to build out a program that kind of helped them program their practices. So now we're getting to the point where I'm working with one of our doctoral engineering students and he's kind of helping me. Um, you know, we take a lot of the GPS data from each session. Um, we break that down into like seven or eight different categories that the coaches deem important. So, you know, amount of cuts, uh, high speed running, total distance, training load, a few other things and, um, taking their practice plans that they give me. So all the different drills and, uh, activities that they do in a session, and then trying to build out a program to where we can actually preemptively program sessions based upon the physical demands that they want to accomplish in a training session. Or conversely, if they want to say, um, hey, we have this theme of a training session that we want to accomplish. So whether it's like up-tempo possession or defensive principles, and they don't really, they, they need to see like what type of physical demands that historically those sessions have uh, kind of given the athletes. Um, they can look at that and then pick certain drills from there as well. So uh, building out a program to be able to do all that is something that I'm just not able to do and they'll really have the patience to, but we have a lot of really bright minds with our engineering students that are really good with like uh, Power BI, Excel, and R programming that um, have really helped kind of build that out. I mean, we're still definitely in the, the infant works of it, but uh, just things like that have been a, a huge help for us and helping us do our job and give a better product to the coaches as well as give some of these engineering students um, some pretty cool, what we think is pretty cool experience in athletics as well. Yeah. Yeah. And free workforce is always, as MJ said, <laughs> smart man. Um, so devil's advocate, because at times with these things, like I kind of organized and, and built some of this stuff myself back in the day. Um, and the reason I try to do it all myself is because 
I wanted to know if something started to not work, where the problems were, so I could go back and I knew where they were to fix them. Mm-hmm. Um, how are these doctoral candidates or these grad students, how are they educating your staff to be able to better understand what they're doing so that like three years down the road, right? Like, let's say it turns out total volume of running doesn't matter. And there's part of your algorithm that has too much weight in. So that's got to get pulled out. Like instead of you just hitting, you know, select all in this column, delete and crossing your fingers and being like, well, shit, here we go. Yeah. Like, how are they helping you guys better understand how to, you know, how to impact the data yourself and how to reinterpret the information so that you're able to make the manipulations necessary? Yeah, I think so. Like what you're talking about, um, you know, the the algorithm and the weight of everything. I think that that's really applicable to people that uh, may only identify training load. Uh, it's such an ambiguous term, but the training load is kind of one of those um, influential markers and in what should dictate training decisions. Uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case. And that's why we, like I said, we, we pick about seven or eight different qualities that we get um, from our, the collected data and try to break it down uh, individually by those, because I think the kind of the collaboration of all of them is what really helps paint the picture of what the athletes are exposed to in each session or, you know, throughout the three year span, like you're talking about. Um, I think, I don't know if it's so much that like these students are helping us. um, I don't know if they're really helping us do like to teach us like, what we should be necessarily doing they can do a really good job of getting oh sorry are you there we got we got some bad wi-fi so if i go if i go in and out i apologize um so if uh they they are really good i think with like helping us uh identify outliers in certain things and I think for us, it's really just a good way of using historical data for immediate practical application. So I, it's, it's hard for us. I don't want to say like, oh, we can look at all this and see where an athlete got hurt and what were the leading causes up to that point. Um, I think that there's enough research out there already that's kind of identified certain factors, either acute to chronically or um, you know, a, a jump in certain qualities that they're not really prepared for that have kind of led to some injuries. But I mean, you're not going to you can't predict any injury or every injury. So um, I don't really know if they're really helping us answer a lot of those questions so much as just really giving us an avenue to better understand um, our previous training and then using what we've done in previous training to, again, try to make better decisions on what we're going to do in future training, if that makes sense. Yeah. Could you give an example of that? Yeah. So um, I'll give a couple of examples. So I think, so one thing um, that we did, or so we, two years ago, we had a, a different coaching staff than the coaching staff we have now. Um, 
And the, with the old coaching staff, you know, right, wrong, or indifferent for either coaching staff, um, they were the previous coaching staff was just a very, very, very volume based um, coaching style and practice style. Um, I mean, girls were accruing up to like eight, nine miles in just a practice session. Um, pretty, yeah, astronomical. And, you know, I, I think that they were getting so much volume. And a- after, you know, doing that for several years, um, I think that they were, a lot of them were just more used to that. Um, but they weren't a very fast paced uh, training style, like the density and the intensity of their sessions weren't quite very high. So when a new coaching staff came in, um, they were just kind of the opposite. They, they weren't, they didn't want to be on the feet too long, but they wanted to make sure that practices were very dense, very intense, uh, when they needed to be. Uh, and they did a really good job of undulating, uh, kind of the demands of that. But, um, the, I think kind of the spike that, or as we noticed, uh, more of a spike in what the girls were used to in terms of like, Hey, like it, you know, we probably used to spend a little bit too much time on our feet and covered a little bit too much volume, but, um, I think we're trending in uh, a really high acute, um, part of that high speed running or the high magnitude of accelerations. So, uh, helping the coaches understand like how we can still accomplish the type of training style that they want to give the athletes, but it may take a little bit more time to kind of build into that. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of one example. Another example I'll use to, uh, another thing that we do with a lot of it is we try to take in all the subjective data that we get from our athletes as well. So, you know, we can, we can collect all this objective data and paint a good picture of these athletes and what they're getting exposed to on the field. But if we're not really asking them, like, how do you feel and where are you sore? Where do you have pain? Then I don't think we're really doing um, the full extent of our job. So we noticed uh, one, it was we had a, an empty week uh, before the national tournament. And we were doing a lot more ball striking, a lot more PKs and uh, haven't really done that too much um, in practices beforehand. So objectively from a, you know, like our, our wearable standpoint, from a polar standpoint, a lot of our external load uh, looked really, really good. Like we were covering just the right amount of distance, right amount of uh, speed, density, cutting. Um, you know, the practices were really well undulated, but we started seeing after the first couple of days, like a lot of hip flexors uh, flaring up and from like uh, just a soreness and kind of identified like, oh, well, you know, where's this coming from? And I think it just invokes conversation with the athletes of like, hey, well, I think it's because we're doing all this. And, you know, that's the only thing different that I can see. And uh, so that's a little bit more of an immediate example of how that's instilled change in training. But um, that's something that we'd also like to do or that we also want to take into account when we're creating these programs to maybe build out sessions based on physical qualities is, you know, how does it really make the girls subjectively feel too? Because <clears throat> say if we go into, <clears throat> we're going into season and we're two days before a game and we can pick, okay, drills A through D are going to be perfect from an output standpoint of what we think will prepare us both from a session theme point of view and an external and internal load point of view. 
But if we look back at the historical subjective data on when we did those certain sessions and how it matched with like, well, it may have looked good on from an external internal standpoint, but from a wellness standpoint, like just like that, like we may, we could have been doing certain things that might not have registered really well um, with our wearable data that um, only really like the opinions and uh, feedback from the athletes are going to give us like that full picture, so to speak. Oh yeah. Well, cause people put a lot of stock into those numbers, but really those numbers don't, they can't give you all of it. I think that the, the ball striking is a great example. Another one is like people look at like IMI and, and those sort of things with catapult and basketball. And they wonder why, you know, the, the big guys fatigue fast, but their, their load numbers with that aren't very high. And it's like, well, cause there's sumo wrestling under the basket with another yeah, exactly. giant, you know, and that doesn't show up. But if you look at their heart rate, and it's spiking through the ceiling and you don't know why it's because, well, he's fighting for position with another monster yeah. right? for like five seconds and then moving to the other side and battling again. So I think that's pretty rad. And I, you know, you talked about something coming in that I'm, ex- I'm, I'm really interested to hear you dive into a little more. You talked about the coaches undulating the week and yeah. how they, they, they said it. How did you, discuss that with them and then what is the model that you guys try to follow with that yeah so that's a great question um my the the answer to the first part of that question um isn't very sexy at all um honestly the the new coaches that we have come in right off the bat i think um understood uh, periodization of training relatively well and they kind of already, I think, had a really good understanding of how to undulate different loads and sessions. So I didn't have to make, you know, it didn't, I didn't have to approach them and be like, you know, hey, the, like the monotony of our training is through the roof. We're putting a ton of strain on these athletes. Um, like already they were really good at um, balancing out what demands that they felt appropriate were for our athletes. Um so I think only the few things that we worked with them a little bit on is, you know, they were really good at undulating the training load. So again, that's the, the ambiguity of that. Um, I don't think that that one number really paints the full picture. So um, they were, you know, training load was going, you know, high, medium, low, um, back to very high or whatever it was for whatever time of year that we wanted. But uh Certain things like individual metrics, like the total distance may have been pretty monotonous throughout the training week, or um, our amount of cutting was uh, very similar each time. And we were getting some sort of like, we we would really only have like differentiation of maybe one variable at a time per session that was undulating that training load. So getting them to understand like uh, maybe, hey, we want to plan out like a little bit better of like give me like two or three physical qualities that you want uh for these girls today uh so like what do you want to accomplish is it do you want it do you want just a lot of volume um do you want a lot of time on their feet do you want them to be running really fast get a really high sprint count uh do you want to be in really close do you want to have a small pitch with 
a ton of the like level three, level four excels, D cells. And um, I think from there, they started to kind of understand like how those individual uh, variables differentiated that training load. And so we started doing, so I'll give kind of a, an in-season training week example. So we typically play games uh, Thursday, Sunday uh, during fall for soccer. And it's, uh, it's really tough to kind of plan around that and undulate the loads around that. So Monday is typically going to be our off day. Um, Tuesday, we'll usually have um, a pretty decent spike. So we'll call it like a moderately heavy day. Um, Wednesday being just a moderate day. Um, and then Thursday being, uh, you know, a very heavy day because it's typically a match day. Um, Friday being a very light day, Saturday being kind of a moderate day, and then Sunday being another very heavy day. So the thing now that was from kind of that overarching training load concept. So things that we kind of tried to dive in a little bit deeper to. So Tuesday, there was kind of a moderately hard day. We wanted to get um, a little bit of exposure to high-speed running, but that kind of be their more volume-oriented day. Uh, Wednesday, being you know, we didn't want to we didn't want them to be have uh, too neurally neurally fatiguing day right before their first match of the week. Um, so that'd be kind of a more moderate volume day, but not a lot of cutting. Um, match days just kind of a cluster; they get it all. Um, Friday, it's base, it was almost basically an off day for them. The starters would do kind of a regen session with me, and bench players would do kind of a 45-minute um, really dense session. So it would be a lot of high speed, a lot of high magnitude cuts. Um, but overall for the team, it kind of balanced out to be like a light day. Um, for those you know bench players or low to no minute players, it was just kind of get them up to making sure they're not falling down the ladder as the high minute players are climbing up the ladder. Um, Saturday going to be another, I, I think it's something like kind of moderate day. Um, oh, sorry. Bounced out there. And that day we try to get a little bit of high speed, not too much. Um, try to limit the amount of cuts again. So it'd be, it'd be pretty comparable to like the Wednesday. Um, and then again, going back into Sunday match day. So, um, I think originally it was they just kind of saw maybe the that training load, how that was undulating. They're like, oh, great, we're doing good. Um, but like maybe the distance that we were covering every day was very similar. So we weren't really we were getting really stagnant and really monotonous with certain variables uh, where the undulation may have just came from like time in certain heart rate zones. So um, I think to paint the, the full picture, we tried to add a little bit more. To it and give them a little clearer picture of what else is kind of the identifiers of what is you know what's what is the stress that they're being exposed to and I think they started to understand that and um, you know I I think we did a pretty good job throughout the end of the season of uh, doing that and uh, that I think we had a really good plan going for the spring and how we were going to uh, organize our training weeks from there but you know obviously that kind of got thrown out the window now but that's okay. Yeah, man. So it goes, you know, MG beat me to it. Um, she's asking if lifting only Tuesday in season, but I, and I guess 
following up on that, if you could dive a little deeper into how all of this then affected whatever you'd be doing off pitch as well. Like, you know, because other than, you know, you said you mentioned the recovery day on Friday, it was right. Yep. The, the woman at Playmore. Um, like, how would you then, like, how would, how would all of these numbers impact what your preparation work was, if at all, um, in a positive and negative sense? Yeah, so I my my theory is I, I want to make sure that I'm complementing comparable demands and whatever they're doing off the pitch. Uh, so on the days where we are a little bit more high volume, um, you know, I, I'd say in, in season, we probably follow a little bit more of a daily undulated model in like the weight room or what they're doing from just a strength conditioning sense. So uh, their volume day on the field is going to be a lot like the volume day in the weight room. Um, their very neurally taxing day on the field is probably going to be a little bit more explosive in the weight room or, um, after before practice, you know, that may be when I expose them to a couple shuttles or, um, just a couple sprints or some type of short run, um, that's fast. And on those recovery days, uh, you know, again, I'm not really exposing them to too much. Um, Friday was probably right, wrong, or indifferent, just kind of how it worked with our schedule. Friday, that recovery day was the day that I always got everybody into the weight room. Um, and Tuesday, a week, it was kind of like half and half. So we didn't really spend as much time as I probably would have wanted off the pitch with me during season. But um, with the with the low to no minute players, I think I got a little bit more that I could do with them um, with matching the practice and weight room demands. But yeah, again, I mean, it was my theory is just to kind of try to complement what the coaches are doing with if they're uh, running on a big open pitch for long periods of time and they're accruing a lot of high speeds, then, um, you know, I want to try to match that with, you know, maybe a, a couple sprints post-practice or um, make sure that beforehand, you know, we've done whatever preparatory, like, uh, pre-sprint work or hamstring work that we need to do to kind of get them ready for that type of day. So um, I think that we were really congruent in like how we tried to give certain demands to the athletes um, so that it matched up pretty well. And, um, you know, I, did we do a perfect job? You know, I, there's no way to tell. Um, I don't think so. I think it'd always be better, but um, I think that, I, the, the athletes themselves and the coaches appreciated that like they could always go into a certain day expecting like, okay, like I know today's going to be just a hard day period, whether it's in the weight room in conditioning um, in some sort of change of direction activity or in our skill work, or, you know, it's the conversely, I guess, like we're going to come in and it's a really easy day. Like I know I don't have to worry about it. Like, I know it's going to be easy practice, and I know when we go into the weight room, like it may just be sort of regenerative based. We'll get uh, some FRC work in, more stretch stuff, uh, just kind of hit some accessories, and that be it. So um, I think it's good for the athletes too. Um, whether it's the best theory to follow, you know, I don't really know, but I think it worked well for us. No, I dig it. It sounds like it sounds like it was at least well planned out. So then I guess the next question is: you brought up you know, that you got into some subjective means with that as well. How much input was then 
allowed from the athletes into this entire process? Yeah, so we, the athletes probably get sick of uh, all the subjective input that they give us, but I think at the same time, they understand how valuable it is. So we don't ask a whole lot from them. Uh, basically, we try to get from them uh, just their sleep to identify sleep habits because uh, we don't have fatigue science or any sort of wearable that can help us track that. We try to get session RPE. And then the main thing we look at is the body scores, which is just a scale of one to 10 uh, pain, scale of one to 10 soreness uh, for whatever they feel after practice, because that's usually the last thing they have in the day. So when we, when we, when I create like the practice reports of like, okay, here were the drills that you guys did. Here's all the external loading, uh, the internal stuff. And then, Here's what they subjectively felt. Uh, so they, they, every session that we run, we get subjective input from them on, uh, you know, how whatever we expose them to made them feel and how hard they thought it was. Uh, and usually it matches up pretty well. Like if we go into knowing like, hey, this is going to be one of those neural days and um, this is going to be a really dense training session and they're probably going to be pretty fried after and they're probably going to say you know they're they're achy and whatnot um so i i think that if, as far as like going into consideration of what they're telling us usually hopefully it's just matching up with what we're trying to get out of them like i think that it only really becomes interventionist when we either the coaches or myself expose them to something and we see something kind of come up that we didn't expect like an example would be like that uh, week before postseason last year when we had a lot of ball striking and we saw a lot of hip flexors and quads kind of flaring up from just a lot of extra hard strikes on the ball that we can't pick up with our wearables. So, um, and, you know, I think for us to like relaying to them that like, hey, we saw that you guys said this. Um, we appreciate that and understand like, so we'll, we're, we're making this training adjustment. Um, and so they feel less, uh, it feels like less of a chore to them when they do have to fill out these questionnaires and give us their subjective input after every session. But, um, you know, I think again, like, I think it really mainly stops at like, usually, hopefully it's just, uh, you know, agreeing with what we're trying to expose them to, uh, on or off the pitch. How much education was there necessarily or was there at all to get them to, to understand that like those days that you're calling neural, like where they were dinged up, like telling us that you're dinged up doesn't mean that it's going to be easier next time. Like this is a byproduct yeah. of what you should be going through. Yeah. So I think helping them understand uh, the training plan of, and I think consistency is really key with that too. Um, so when we tell them, like why this is going to be one of the hard days and why relative to the rest of the week, it's going to be one of the hard days and why you're going to get a little bit easier of a day this day. Um, they start to buy into that a little bit. So, I mean, of course, explaining the why and then staying consistent with it, um, which in season with the consistent schedule, it's a little bit easier to do that. I think out of season, um, you know, they just, they kind of feel like it's a little bit more unorganized if we don't, uh, 
explain it to them. So there's definitely a little bit of teaching in that. Um, there's also a little bit of teaching in getting reliable uh, results from them from their subjective input as well. So I think when we first started doing that, we, you know, no one really knows what like uh, a 10 out of 10 on a pain or soreness scale is. Um, someone thinks like, oh, we did squats today. So my quads are at nine out of 10, even though it was like, if you did like four sets of five at a really lightweight, like you're fine. Um, and also like the subjective RPE of the session too. Like we have freshmen coming in that think that what's probably like even a moderately light, moderate practice for us is more of a hard or very hard practice for them. Um, you know, they're just not accustomed to that demand of practice quite yet. So, uh, it definitely takes a little bit of teaching to get them to understand, uh, you know, why we're doing certain things and exposing them to certain things on certain days. And then, uh, you know, why the authenticity and the reliability of what they're telling us is important uh, so that, you know, we can, you know, re rely on trying to make decisions uh, based off a lot of the, the wellness data that they're giving us as well. Okay, I dig it. I dig it. I think that the one thing that I, I would ask is do you think that maybe coaching them to understand those things maybe is manipulating the answers so that they give you more of what you're expecting? I, I think that's a really good point. Um, I think it, it just kind of goes with the approach that you give them on it. Um, I, I don't think we tell them like preemptively, like, or like after the fact, sorry. So postemptively um, that like, Hey, today, like is going to be about a seven out of 10. Okay. So like your RPE should probably be a seven out of 10. It's more like as goofy as it is, like giving them just those little like face maps of like the smiley face being the one. And then like the dead sweaty face being the number 10, like, like, Hey, where do you think you match up along this? So giving them some, uh, like kind of a measure to gauge themselves off of without us really, uh, telling them too much of like, this is how you should feel. Uh, cause I think that's a really good point. We try not to like what they give us. Now there's all to, to go against myself there. We also don't want them to do those four sets of five squats at a really light weight and then say like, Oh, I'm dead. I pulled my quads um because they're a little bit sore because they don't they just don't understand like a pain or soreness so i i think there's a little bit of education but yeah i think you're right i think if you go too much into it then you can start manipulating the numbers to what we want to see as coaches which kind of takes the the value out of it mm -hmm. now because i've just seen people that like have done it the way that you you mentioned like that is not the goal like people would look at the numbers and be like, are you out of your mind? That wasn't an eight. That was like four. Yeah. You know, and then it's just like, well, then maybe the problem is you thought it was a four and it's an eight. Right. Like maybe, so, maybe you don't know what you're doing. You yeah. I'll definitely like, add like we, we never, um, we never specifically go to the athlete, like using that quad example again, like I'm never going to go to that athlete and be like, you're being a baby. Like you're just a little bit sore. 
it's more like from a team standpoint, we'll like maybe resend out like those subjective scales of like, hey, guy, like, like be just be authentic. Like, where do you think you lie on this scale? Um, and so there's definitely a trust factor with what we give them. And I don't it's never going to be perfect. But um, yeah, we don't we, we try to ride that fine line between being manipulative and um, not getting valuable input from them. Did you find those numbers change at all when, like, school was hard? Oh, absolutely. So another one, um, we we asked them their stress levels as well. Um, so sleep, stress, RPE, and pain and soreness. So the the stress, yeah, I think plays a big role. And I, we didn't really, like, I don't know if, like, we just didn't, uh, like, we had it just to, like, see, like, maybe, okay, like, when's when's the most academic stress time coming in like usually you know a lot of professors kind of hit uh these like everyone's given exams in this one week so everyone's stressed out this one week and we just kind of wanted to see that um from more of a team basis but we didn't look at it too much from an individual standpoint and i think that we could have done a lot better of a job with that and i think that as we started to see a few more outliers of maybe not so much score related stuff, but, you know, relationships or family and stress uh, scores coming up from an individual standpoint where the team may not be um, a lot of times like, yeah, their, their pain and soreness uh, scales were rising up with it. And uh, our AMS does a really good job. If we want to answer questions like that, like if we have an athlete who uh, is rating a lot higher than normal, uh, they've gone up a couple or one or two standard deviations on where they're, body scores are typically at and we can run a correlation between that and how their stress scores have been or like a combination of their stress and sleep and see you know how well those pair up and there's there's usually a really really good relationship so um it's hard from an individual standpoint like that to make a lot of training interventions um because i mean you you have to train the team at the end of the day but um i definitely think that there's been a couple days or a couple cases where um, maybe we have in a soccer example, like maybe we just throw someone in on a neutral because, you know, we know they're going through a lot. They don't have to do too much reps. Um, so they get a little bit less demand out of it because like, yeah, we want to accomplish more from either the internal or external load standpoint. But if that's going to be at the cost of them feeling shittier at the end of the day, like that's not worth it. So, yeah, we definitely yeah, or want a hamstring. To yeah, exactly. No, dude, I'm, I'm with you. I think that I think that that's something that's important. And it's hard to, to manage at times, you know, because it's like, <sighs> Cardell Jones said it best, right? Like, he didn't go there to play school. And, like, there are definitely some kids who think that. Yeah. Um, and there are some kids who think school is the end-all, be-all. It's like that story Cal says. I, I don't know if you've heard it. We're like, he had a guy who, like, an NHL player who, who, like, something happened and he was all over the news for this, that, and the third. And, like, he was fine. He didn't care. But then, like, his ex-wife called and, like, his stress scores went through the roof and was, like, losing his mind. So it's like, like, stress is stress, but stress is stress to you and stress is stress yeah. to me. And then, like, if, if a kid's tweaking out about school – like, let's say you care about school and, and I don't give a shit. 
like we're in the same classes though now you're getting practice altered because your stress scores are all messed up it's like well i got midterms too it's like how do you tell a kid at that point well yeah you do but you don't you don't give a shit like, <laughs> like we know you don't care so like why are we going to change practice like it yeah. doesn't matter to you or yeah. even more so what you see like people get pissed sometimes when you pull them from reps it's like, why am I getting pulled? And they get, they're doing this stuff. And it's like, well, because, you know, got to live to fight another day. Yeah, I, no, that's, that's a great point, too. Um, I think we're pretty lucky with the compliance of the athletes that we have. Um, but there's, of course, going to be those, you know, ones that don't want to get pulled or don't want to go in when they are feeling stressed. And, you know, again, I don't think there's ever going to be that, like, perfect system on how you balance that. Yeah. But. I think at the end of the day for us, uh, like if we are trying to do, you know, we don't want to have this like abstract mosaic of like what the athlete looks like. We want to paint the clearest picture of them as possible. And I think that, you know, it, it seems like a lot and to some people it may be unnecessary, but I think if we're collecting that internal loading, the external loading and the subjective data that we're at least painting the clearest picture of the athlete and where they're at as possible. So as yeah, long as we can do that and find ways to apply that to like what we're exposing them to in training sessions or how we need to manipulate training sessions, then, um, you know, I think that's where the utility of it all comes out of. And, you know, our wearables, uh, the, the end all be all and how you can identify that, like, no, absolutely not. But, um, they're definitely a useful tool in how we, uh, you know, can identify that. Um, I was talking to uh, Alex Carnal uh, at Memphis and he, he was at a school where, you know, they didn't have the resources to get something like Polar or Catapult or Strive. Uh, so he just had with his system, which I thought was pretty good is he took what, who he believed were like the three most reliable people on the team. And after every drill uh, he would time each drill and he'd the those three athletes would come off. They knew after every drill, they they would tell him like, "Hey, that was a an eight out of ten, or that was a six out of 10. And then he would average that, and then multiply it by the minutes to get some sort of load minute. And he would categorize drills and things by that. And you know, what is that doing? Like, you know, exactly the perfect job that I say perfect, the as good of a job as like some of these wearable companies are doing. Like, no, maybe not, but are you still getting some sort of framework on how you can like subsequently program or help coaches program practices or what demands that you're going to expose them to maybe in the weight room or in conditioning? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's other avenues that I think can give just as uh, advantageous of an effect as well. No doubt, man. No doubt. Listen, brother, I appreciate the time. This is some rad stuff. I gotta get rock and roll here, but uh, hopefully I don't mess up and, and, screw up screen grabbing this today like i did yesterday sorry mark i'm a jerk uh but yeah dude i appreciate your time and this is some great stuff i think a lot of this the insight into what people actually do with the tech is important because i think a lot of people are like yeah we've got this and it's like well, what do you do with it and you're like well we hand it out and yeah. we take it back you know so i i appreciate the, the candidness and the openness brother this is rad yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate you talking to me too, man. It was great. And uh, yeah, look forward to hopefully doing it again at some point. Yeah, brother. Appreciate you, man. Have a good one. Cheers. Awesome, Jay. You too, man. See ya.